sanctified us, set us apart. The blood of Jesus, our shield, our shelter, our defense. Thank you for the blood. <laughs> that which redeemed our life from destruction. Bought us out of sin. The corruption that comes. Bought us into righteousness. And we might live with you in fellowship, apart from sin. The righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and we magnify you. Ha, you're so great. You're greatly to be praised. Thank you for utterance that we should speak as we ought to speak. Holy Spirit, put me on like a glove. God, do what you want to do in this place. In every heart and in every life, by the anointing, break yokes of bondage. Bring revelation that we might have application of your word as we grow in the knowledge the spiritual understanding of your will for our life grant unto us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of every heart would be flooded with light that we would have an expectation of your calling we thank you Father for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Why don't you give the worship team a big hand? Praise the Lord. It's just so nice and wonderful to have an atmosphere set to receive the word of God and uh, just focus our hearts on him and the blood of Jesus. Just powerful. Amen. We look at somebody next to you. The life of God dwells in me. And the life of God dwells in you. Therefore... You have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God. Everywhere you go, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. Welcome to 1030 service. Praise the Lord. I believe God has uh, awesome things in store for us. Uh, not just today, but uh, this year, going into this year. And uh, I'm so thankful. Uh, you know, I can say Happy New Year. I was here on the 31st, so it wasn't quite New Year's yet. And uh, Pastor Tasha was here last week. I bring you greetings from New Creation Church of Craig. I uh, had a great time with them last Sunday and just ministering the word and fellowshipping with them. And uh, you all had a great time, brought a great word uh, to you about the preeminence of the word of God. So I want to encourage you, as she did in that daily time in the word, but the application of that word, praise the Lord, uh, in temptation, yep. amen, and uh, in your emotion, and in relationship, right? So we know what we should do, but if we don't apply it. And so really, you know, we talked about uh, the wisdom of the word in uh, uh, Craig last week, and really wisdom, you know, the Bible says through wisdom a house is built, through understanding uh, it is established, and through knowledge it's filled with all good and present, uh, pleasant riches. And so knowledge is the accumulation of the truth or facts uh, into our heart, into our mind. Understanding is putting it together. You ever had trouble putting it together? Like, oh, that's a good word, Pastor. What do I do with that? Well, he says understanding is to put it together. And then wisdom is application. So most people's problem doesn't come because of the circumstance. It, becomes, it comes because of the failure to apply the word to that circumstance, right? So somebody gives you a dirty look or doesn't, you know, walks by you. I have, you know, somebody told me the other day again, like, you know, I have to be real cautious because, you know, you can have something on your mind and just walk by me and not even see me. And I'm like, sorry. Uh, but if you were to take offense at that instead of forgive me for that, then we could have a problem. Because I didn't look at you? No. Because you didn't apply the word to forgive me for that. Right? So when you tell me, then I have to try to look at you. It's hard to do when I have my mind on something else, you know. It sometimes gets really crowded up here. And so, uh, you know, working on that, that kind of thing. But it's, it's just that simple, right? The application of God's word to a circumstance changes everything. Or we let the circumstance dictate to us how we're going to do that. And so that word last uh, week and, and where we're going in this year, as God has said, was so important to us as a body to take it and to meditate on that word. 
that, you know what, the word of God to get it into my heart daily and then to see circumstances or situations coming that would tempt me that I don't allow, I put the word of God to that. I, I draw close to God instead of letting my temptation draw me away from God. Well, then, you know, I'm going to have emotion. How many of you ever had emotion? Praise the Lord. So, you know, I had to learn something early on, you know, people would cry. I have a box of uh, Kleenexes in my office because it seemed like everybody, every time somebody would come into my office, they would just cry. I didn't even have to say anything and they would cry. Uh, some of you think, you know, well, you're just so mean. I didn't even say nothing. I just cry. They would cry. So I started thinking, well, they're just emotional. But then, you know, there's a couple things, you know, that I would get riled up about. And God had to say, they're not just emotional. That's an emotion. So you can be emotional. I don't mess with you. And so no matter what it is, you have to understand what those emotions are and how do I apply the word of God to it. And it will help you because you can have control. By the spirit of God, that's self-control. Right? That area of really uh, temptation, everything she talked about is really the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit of self-control, taking the Word of God and applying it to keep you from going off track emotionally, off track with temptation, off track in relationships. The Word of God does that. So what a tremendous word. I, I'm so grateful always when she teaches. Uh, it, it brings such a great uh, understanding what she's saying to, to everybody who's listening. And so once you get that understanding, then you ask God for wisdom. She, you know, if you listen to that at all, you were like, oh, oh, I understand. And so now it's just taking that and, and applying wisdom to it every, every time you get a chance. Amen? Um, I want to get into, uh, what did I do with that? Just a couple of things here, and we're going to get into the Word. Uh, this week, somebody sent me this. You know, we launched into uh, 2023. Or 2024, and uh, I had a message I will share a little bit today. I had prepared, and while we were praying, I believe prophetic utterance came concerning, concerning 2024, and I shared that. And so somebody sent me a text and said, I'm sure that you have read this. So they were thinking I read this, and then that word came forth, but actually that word came forth by the Spirit of God. This is very interesting how it fits. Uh, because uh, this, is the, this is the word that was sent me. The year 2024 will be visited with turbulent episodes across the entire globe, especially in the realms of finances and politics and in the nations. These episodes will be of a sort that they will potentially cause those who are not rooted in God's word to deep, be deeply disturbed. I read that and I thought, well, God just gave me, it would be like crying out, you don't even care if we die. That would be deeply disturbed, don't you think? Uh, but for those who stay in faith, stay in peace, stay in love, stay in fellowship, and keep sowing seed for the sake of eternity, they will experience a supernatural power that will cause them to be unmoved, unshaken, well provided for, and to walk in much needed divine assurance, divine peace, divine power, and divine supernatural victory. Yes, those who stay in faith, in peace, in love, in fellowship, and keep sowing seed for the sake of eternity will be blessed, empowered, joy-filled, and sustained, and they will miraculously thrive even if the world around them is tossed with a tempest. Whew. So since the 31st, I've heard people go, wow, this 2024 is going to be rough. Well, no, he said it will be around you. But if you're counting on it being rough, then you must be saying, I'm not going to stay in faith. I'm not going to stay in peace. I'm not going to. He said, if you stay in those, it may be rough around you, but it won't be rough for you. So every time the thought comes and goes, oh, here it is, 2024, say, wait a minute, where am I not staying in faith, staying in peace, staying in love? Where am I not sowing good seed? Because he said, if we do these, that is a prophecy by Rick Renner. 2024. So praise the Lord. God gave us supernatural utterance, went, went really hand in hand with that for us, but God's saying something to his people, right? You may see the world around you being tumultuous, turbulent, but if you get caught up in that, you'll get caught up in the turbulence of it. But if you observe that and you stay in faith, stay in peace, stay in the places that God has for you, you will navigate those and come out 
understanding, really, miracle-working power to navigate through situations and situations. And so, uh, Proverbs 3, if we just continue to acknowledge him in all of our ways, he'll direct our paths. If we uh, delight ourselves in him, uh, he'll give you desires, put things in your heart, you commit it back to him, and he will direct those things. Amen. And so, I think, that I believe that part of that is uh, these covenant relationships that we've been talking about. If everything around you and the relationships and the worldly uh, uh, situations around us begin to be very turbulent and begin to be tossed to and fro, that, then that means the people in those will be tossed to and fro. And if we're really connected to that, it's going to be much more difficult for us to be in a boat where people are flying out of the boat rather than where people are staying in the boat. And so these covenant connections that we've been talking about, I believe they're very important. I believe that when we begin to talk about them, as we begin to see these things, I, I believe wrapping this up, there's some other things that God's put on my heart as we get into the weeks of the year, but uh, these, these things are important. And so uh, today I want to share just a, a couple of things with you and um, uh, try to bring some further understanding and application to what we want to be doing here and how we're going to get to a situation uh, that's better than where we are in these types of relationships. And so uh, I was praying this week, and, and this just came up out of my heart, uh, uh, these phrases, and then it seemed like the Spirit of God said something to me about it. The phrase, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Or I'll just do that my way. You know, that really hits us, in, in, especially in America. Frank Sinatra made millions off of singing he'd do it his way. But you know, I'll do whatever I want or I'll do it my way is really an enemy of covenant connections. Because covenant connection isn't about you and your way. It's about how we join together with covenant partners, especially coming down from God and doing it his way. And to understand, as we'll talk about, his way is such a dynamic way that doing it his way begins to paint color and splendor into the whole picture. Where life may look black and white, we begin to do it the way God wants us to do it. And even though we don't see the color of it until we begin to merge ourselves into his way, once we do, it begins to really take shape. It begins to be filled with color and the splendor that God has in it. The other phrase that he put in, in, in uh, my heart was, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Well, now you connect those. And this is how our culture works, and it's an enemy of covenant relationship in our culture. We shared a number of weeks ago what's happened since, you know, the late 50s, early 60s to break down these relationships to create a misunderstanding and confusion of who we even are and where we came from. And so in that breaking these relationships down and creating that confusion, we have young people who you can tell them. You may look, you may uh, be, have borne this, but that's not who you really are. And they'll believe that because they lost track of who they are, heritage, legacy, how God designed generational covenant to take place. And so there's a lot of confusion. And this is a confusing thing, right? It happened from the very beginning. Our society's really expounded on it. I'm going to do it my way until the consequences come and then it's not my fault. Well, if you're going to do it your way and do whatever you want and then something happens and it's not your fault... How do we ever even resolve that? So because of those kind of things, we kind of have chaos. So I'm going to talk to you about some things that I told the first service. We're going to have sheep and goat moments. You know what those are. Sheep go, yeah, yeah. And goats go, yeah, but. Yeah, but. And so because of circumstances of life and the way that they are, and because we live in a dysfunctional society because we've seen many families in dysfunction because the church hasn't functioned properly when we try to bring God's functioning to it we're going to have all kinds of reasons why that might not work and if they did or if somebody else does or if they would have done but I, I want to stress this as we get into this. It's not really, you can do that all day long and we'll never make any process, progress. 
Instead of saying, well, if they do, or if they hadn't done, or if somebody else did, or whatever, we have to say, what do I do now? So that we can start to, as Pastor Tasha said last week, about creation, about the power of God's word, that Genesis chapter 1, there was chaos, there was darkness, tohu bavohu, disorder. When God spoke light, the Holy Spirit took those words and made order out of chaos. So we have a lot of chaos, and we could just say, well, this is why, and I can't do what the Bible's telling me to do, and I can't order that aright because of chaos. But God said, if you will speak my word and allow the Holy Spirit, I will start to make order out of your chaos. Now listen, if we already have chaos and it's going to get tumultuous and we're going to get through it, we're going to have to figure out how to bring order into chaos. Otherwise, we're going to have chaos. And God didn't design for you to have chaos. And the problem is, once we have chaos, we're like, God, why? It's not my fault. And God says, well, if you would have applied my word back there. So I'm starting to circle around. So let's just move forward. We'll try to look at this in, in really the way we can and whatever quickness we can. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Starting verse 6, it says this, but now he has, speaking of Jesus, he has obtained a more excellent ministry or more, or more excellent service for us inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was based and established on better promises. So Jesus now is serving us from the perspective of a mediating a better covenant based on better promises, better promises. So now we're under the new covenant, which is a covenant based on better promises. So if we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because every promise of God has its yes and its so be it in Christ Jesus. So he's, he is the mediator of a better covenant based on all the promises of God that were fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so God said yes to redeeming your life from sin. But he also needs your yes. Your yes in covenant, right? And the power of that yes is incredible uh, when we start to think about it. And it goes either way because God designed it that way. What we yield to, what we say yes to, begins to become a forming part of where we go. And so uh, uh, when Todd White was here, he, he spoke about this, and, and we haven't actually watched it yet, but we've talked to some people who have, and uh, he explained this part of it. So Nefarious is a, a movie about a prisoner who's demon-possessed. Somebody interviews him uh, ab about this and asks him the question, how did you get here? The enemy, and he's talking right to the demon that's in the guy. How, how did he get to this point? How did this happen? And he said, through a series of yeses. A series of yeses. So it didn't just all of a sudden happen. It happened through a series of, that temptation applied, and I said yes. That offense came, and I said yes to being offended. I said yes to unforgiveness. I said yes to pornography. I said yes to sexual immorality. Didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but a series of yeses opened the door for the enemy to begin to take control of my life, which is scriptural. If you lend yourself over to sin, it will dominate you. But the other side of that is true, that we end up with God totally governing and directing our life through a series of yeses. Yes, I will forgive. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will allow my life to be set apart wholly unto you. Yes, I will read my Bible in the morning. Yes, I will ask for wisdom. Yes, I will apply that word to my life. Yes, yes, yes. A series of yeses will bring you into a place where somebody says, how did you get there? How are you living in the glory and the splendor of God? We, we want to say, because I did some, some amazing stuff. But actually, it was a series of saying yes to the promises of God. See, we want the wow, but it's a series of things. So much like coaching, you know, when I coach uh, kids in baseball, uh, everybody wants to hit the home run. 
It's, it's that attitude's gone to the, the, the pros, you know. What's the big pass? What's the big play? We got to have that so people will watch. But when you're coaching kids in baseball, they want to hit the home run, but you pretty much are already smarter. That you may hit one home run here and there, but if you can't hit a stationary ball off of a tee, the chances of you hitting very many home runs is slim to next to nothing. So it takes a series of just hitting that ball cleanly off of that tee over and over and over again to get your hand-eye coordination just proper. And then a series of yeses to that same fundamental when the ball's moving at you. But if you take a, those series of things and put them together, those series of fundamental things that you don't like to do because they're redundant and they're small, the day will come when it's the bottom of the ninth and there's two outs and you're one run behind and there's you and a runner on base and you put all those little things that you practice together and you hit the ball over the fence and you win the game and then everybody's like, whoa, aren't you amazing? And you come in and say, just always been a home run hitter. No, you haven't. I started with the very fundamentals day in and day out, day in and day out. And when the time came to apply what I learned in a critical situation, I hit the big thing. And when you do that in Christian life, there's going to be people go like, you're amazing, and say, well, really, I'm not that amazing. It took a lifetime of yes to God to be ready for this moment that I have right now. So as we begin to understand that and live in covenant with God, part of this relationship is applying the understanding of covenant relationship that we have in our lives and not forsaking it for something that we think is better. Not saying yes apart from it, but saying yes to the oneness that I have in Christ. Yes to the oneness of relationship that I have with my spouse and my family. Yes to the relationship of oneness that I have with my local church body and the understanding of that with with Jesus. Even in the troublesome times, I'm saying yes to the simple things of joining together, hearing the word, helping each other, encouraging one another to those things so that when the time comes and the hole is needed and the big push is needed through something, we have what it takes to see that. Not because we're so spectacular, but because we apply the day-to-day -day principles that take place for us in understanding how powerful these relationships are. So we said a number of uh, weeks ago that they're so powerful that in our culture that it was clear back in the 50s or the 60s, the devil began subtly to break down our understanding of God's authority in our life, not having to obey that, being free spirits, the sexual revolution. Now all of a sudden, we're breaking down the family unit because children are being born out of the family to eventually they don't know what their heritage is. They don't know where they came from. And so the, the, the society is able to govern who they are because they haven't known these divine relationships that God created. And so we're moving into a day, having seen that take place in our culture, like I said, and say, well, how are we going to live like this since this is how it is? We just have to look and say we repent from how it was. And even coming into that and allowing that but here we are. What are we going to do now? And so these five things that govern covenant relationships that we've begun to talk about that we're not making a huge amount of uh, forward movement on are number one, it's, they're transcendent. They're higher than our thinking, how we would do relationship with God, how we would do marriage, how we would do church. If we got to do it our way, which people are, it's not ending so well. If 65% of the people who get married get divorced, their way isn't working that great, right? The number of people who have said, you know, my relationship with God has diminished and fallen apart than doing it your way and saying, God, you be my God, the one that I make. Most people are falling apart because they see God as somebody to meet all of their needs the way they want it rather than being God that they follow and, and submit to and fear because he is God. So in doing that, well, I'm not getting everything I want, so I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And church and the church family has just become an option. It's become like if something else isn't better to do on Sunday, that's what I do. Yet, when it's really time to need help, we need somebody to gather around us and pray and help. 
And so it's broken down because really the culture that we get in and we say we don't know how to fix it. But if we look at it and say God had something way higher, we can't figure it out, God figures it out. As Isaiah said, his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth and do not return to him void, right? But accomplish what he sets forth for it to do. He said, this is higher. All these principles, these relationships transcend your natural thinking. You are going to need me to figure it out, right? And so the second principle of covenant relationships is there's always a chain of command. I'm going to change that just a little bit for where we're talking about this to help us because the chain of command, everybody's like, again, because of culture. There was a day if you came from military, you came from coaching or something, chain of command doesn't really bother you. But if you've been wounded or hurt in any of those situations, chain of command, you immediately are like, ah. So really, I'm just changing it to chain of responsibility. Chain of responsibility, right? And I'm going to just tell you number three because it really segues in. If you even have a, a limited understanding and application of that, it should help us in talking about the chain of responsibility, uh, and the third thing is there, uh, every uh, covenant connection relationship has governing guidelines. God's covenant relationships have two governing guidelines, and they are love and respect. Love and respect. So the reason that I tell you this is we operate into, especially the family relationship today, talking about the chain of command, chain of responsibility, authority that exists there, you can begin to wonder and think about tyranny. But if you understand love and respect are the things that govern and guide this, then it's not about tyranny. It's actually about responsibility and development of something that is more powerful together then it could be a part. If you see it as tyranny and simply authority and command, then you'll break it apart. But if you understand the plan of God and take responsibility and authority over the enemy and you yield to that respectfully, it will join things together and they'll never come apart. So the enemy has tried to take pieces of this and, and have us apply it and then blown it apart. And then we say, well, it doesn't work. Well, I'm just telling you, it works. And it's worked over and over and over and over again. And so in, as we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he talks about how the Godhead, he goes on down, but the Godhead is subject to a chain of authority or command. So it says that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman. So he gives, there's a chain of command in operation, that operationally that takes place here. And so we see that, we looked at that. Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father do. I don't say anything that I don't see the Father say. It comes straight down from the Father. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears, that will he speak. Why? Because he's subject to another authority. And he knows if I speak from that authority, whatever the Holy Spirit declares, picked up on, listened to, and applied, has the same power right here that it had in heaven. Right? The centurion understood that. So with God, we begin to know that. Again, when we get into to, to love and respect, working as a governing guideline, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So God so loved us. If he gave Jesus, how would he not with him freely give us all things? The love of God was expressed, First John says, the very expression of the love of God was found in the coming of Jesus Christ. So he loves us. Jesus broke all the power of sin. But if we don't have this awe of God, this fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, wisdom is the application of God's word. The application of God's word has power because the word of a king has power. So if we apply his word through a chain of command, and that's really what it's saying there. In the Bible, the word of a king has power, which means if the king says it, the colonel passes it to the commander, the commander of the armies, and they do it, it has all the backing of the kingdom so that they can win the battle. But it has to be carried out that way to have the power of the king. So it happens that way as it comes down and it begins to come down into the place 
of the family. And so he says there's a head. Ephesians chapter 5, he says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Talks about the leadership in the, in the church. Those who are over you or head over you, oversight of you. He said give them reverence or give them honor as those who must give an accounting for your soul. They've been called to watch for your soul. So we looked at those three. And so uh, uh, the Greek word for head is kafali. It's K-A-P-H-A-L-E. And it means this in the sense of seizing. In the sense of seizing the head as the part most readily taken a hold of. The part most readily taken a hold of. So it means who's responsible. Who is God coming to talk to? You ever heard the phrase, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? So where we all want to be in charge, right, that creates confusion. So it doesn't mean that every person doesn't have authority over their own life, but within these structures, somebody has to be responsible. Right? So the Bible even tells us, the Bible says that Jesus, we, when we mess up, right, when we sin, thank God we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So when we confess our sin, God doesn't come down and go, hey. He goes to Jesus and says, what about this? Because Jesus is responsible. And aren't you thankful that Jesus, every single day for the rest of eternity, ever lives to make intercession for you? To stand in the gap for you. When God says, what about this? He said, I shed my blood. They received my blood. They're asking for forgiveness. Forgive them. He's responsible. That's why he has authority. He's the head. Come on, we're supposed to learn from him. So there's that place of who's God going to get a hold of? And we'll look at this in just a minute, all right? So... This whole chain of command, chain of responsibility was never meant to be oppressive. It was meant to be operational. It was never meant to be oppressive. It was meant to be operational or functional. So you see, we're not doing it right because we have a ton of dysfunction. If we were doing it, we'd be functioning well. But we've taken it, the devil's twisted it to be oppressive. So even when we talk about it, your mind starts going the goat thing. Yeah, but you're thinking oppressive. What if I give them a place and they do bad leadership? What if they do? The Bible gives us people like David, whom Saul sought to kill him. And he had opportunity to end that. And what did he say? He said, I get this chain of authority that comes from God. And without a word from God, I cannot touch his anointed. So we're like, well, what if they don't lead well? I don't know. Saul didn't lead David well. But David kept honor and sought God for his next direction. So it's possible to bring order even in the midst of disorder. Right? And so when we think about this and we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 there where he gives the order of command, right? And there's some things in there that people disagree about. But he tried to, Paul really tried to explain it in the way that only Paul can, confusingly. So when people are confused at my explanation, I'm like, praise the Lord. I have an anointing like the Apostle Paul. Uh, <laughs> but he, he finishes and says, now wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, I'm talking about something that we need to understand here about this chain of responsibility or command. But you man, when you think I got this all, he said, just a minute, figure this out. Woman was taken from man. Oh, we men. Women come from us men. He said, stop it. Because you didn't get here without her. Right? He tries to bring balance. You want to get all snotty about you don't need her? You didn't get into this earth without her. So he said, I'm not talking about unequal. I'm not talking about ruling. He said, I'm talking about God saying, I'm holding somebody responsible. He said, now look at it. Try to, from me, figure out how these things work. 
lest you get into the point of saying, I'll do more than the one in authority over me just because I think I can and understand what I said, that if you want to be a teacher of my word, you'll have a stricter judgment. You want to be a leader, you're going to be responsible for what goes on. That's why I believe Jesus taught so much about stewardship. Being delegated something, what will you do with it? With not only the thing, but the authority that was given to you to reproduce the thing. And so when we bring that down, we know God did a great job when we honor him, when we're in awe of him, when we're so reverent of his love for us and what he's done. Now, because we reverence him, we respect the love that he showed towards us. Now we have delegated power in our life that comes from him. And so the family is much like this. So the husband is the head of the wife. So he becomes responsible for the wife. We talked about this a couple weeks ago where, again, uh, we think, men think, well, I get to just be the boss. Well, you don't get to just be the boss. Where did you ever see Jesus just being the boss? He says, you get to be the head like Christ was the head. How was Christ the head? Philippians chapter 2. Though he's equal with God, he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, came in the likeness of men, put on flesh, as God put on flesh. How humbling would that be? To put on the restriction of this body as God. And not only put on the restriction of this body as God and humble yourself, but then become obedient to death for people who hate you. And submit to what? God's will. Taking responsibility for mankind's sin. And once he took responsibility for mankind's sin through obedience, then God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. In heaven and earth and below the earth and every tongue confess that he's master to the glory of God the Father. So we as men, husbands, are supposed to love our, li- our wives like Christ loved the church. To be head like he was. So when was the last time you didn't kick at obedience to God? When was the last time you humbled yourself and put yourself in the position of your wife? Instead of saying, man, why doesn't she just obey me? Well, why don't you just obey God? Well, you don't know how hard it is to be me and obey God. Well, then you don't know how hard it is to be her and obey you. There's always a connection. God made it to make sense. To make order out of confusion. And so, man, we have to understand that we are responsible to God's word. We are responsible to God's word to study it, to learn of it, to learn from him, to have a prayer life where God can begin to instruct and to guide us by the Holy Spirit so that we can be an example to our family. And when God speaks to us, we can say, this is where we're going. Follow me as I follow him. And at some level, because of love in it, trust has been developed, respect given. Now listen, we'll get to this, but if you say, wait, I'm, well, I'm going to wait till he does that. No, he doesn't tell you to wait. Because there's a cycle movement. You know, uh, Emerson Eckrich wrote a book, Love and Respect, and he talks about a crazy cycle where we're always waiting for the other person to do something, but if we would just find the order of it, right? So I'm never going to give him respect till he gets it. Then you'll never have him love you like you're supposed to because he lives and he thrives off of that respect. There's something in him. I'm not going to build up his ego. You better... Because if you make him feel like he can't do anything right, he won't. All right, well, that's for another lesson. I thought if that caught on, we could go that direction, but that ain't going nowhere. Not today. All right. Praise the Lord. And so we get into this place. So we carry that down. We carry that down into churches and ministries. And, you know, somebody asked me one time, I was preaching, about sheeps and, and shepherds and all that stuff. And it was in the old building standing right here. And somebody stands up really loud and goes, what if the shepherd is a wolf? 
caught me by surprise. I mean, really, I didn't know what to say. I was like, I wanted to say, sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus. Um, <laughs> you know, Brother Copeland, he can do stuff like that. I've never had it. I've had a number of people stand up in a service, and I thought, if I could just have the authority in Jesus' name to say, sit down and shut up. But when that comes to my mind, the Holy Spirit says, don't do that. But he does always tell me something. So I was just standing there. I had to ponder it a second. Like, what are you talking about? And I had to look at him and I say, I can just tell you one thing that I do know. This shepherd is not a wolf. And it dumbfounded him. He went, uh, and he sat down. And then he came to me after service and he said, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that. So the enemy just tried to get into that order. So I can't speak for every leader. I know a lot of leaders. I know a lot of pastors, but most of them love the flock. And they're doing their best to present the word that God is telling them to present. And so many times there's a lot of pressure on any leader, any place. And I'm not complaining about it. I'm trying to bring order to this. There's a lot of pressure where people say, why don't you do what I want you to do as a leader? And it can't be done. And I'm going to tell you why. And this responsibility to bring what God says and what it puts on you. And when you understand this, you won't just go, it's about men, it's about leaders in the church, it's about God. We'll see we all have places of authority that God has given to us, and it's essential to have the proper God-given authority through God's Word, through God's Word, wherever you are, and to yield to that. So a husband who's not yielding to God's Word and says, woman, obey me, he's got a problem. It's already dysfunctional, because she, doesn't, she shouldn't just obey you and your desires, She's to obey the commands of God. But then you get the other side where it works. So in Genesis chapter 3, you all know the story there. If you don't, you can go to it. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent came and tempted Eve and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After they ate, it says she ate. She gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And they realized they were naked, and they went and hid themselves. And so when they went and hid themselves, God came down in the cool of the day to walk with them in the garden. Couldn't find him. He said, where are you? And so they came out. He said, what have you done? Uh, they said, we ran and hid because we were afraid. And he said, did you eat of the tree? But when he came down, he said, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Eve, hey, Eve, where you at? He knew what had gone on. And he had left somebody responsible. And so he came and he didn't seek out everything, every other situation. He came to the one that was responsible and he said, Adam, where are you? He said, well, I hid myself. He said, and because you were coming, I was afraid. He said, why'd you hide yourself? Did you eat of the tree? He said, not my fault. Her fault. She said, I did it my way. No, she. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You need to lighten the atmosphere a little bit. It's heavy. Uh, she said, not my fault. Serpent's fault. Serpent said, you betcha. I came to tempt them. And I did it. So God started working backwards. And he said, you serpent, because you have done this thing, will crawl on your belly all the days of your life. And I'm going to start redemption right now. The seed of woman will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. You will be finished. Now you young lady, because you've done this, there'll be childbirth. There will be pain in childbirth, labor in childbirth. See, it wasn't meant to be that way, but there'll be pain in childbirth. And then he said, now you young man, because you listened to your wife, you will start to work in hard labor and through the sweat of your brow, you will have to make things produce for you and your family. See, it wasn't that way. But he said, things are going to change. But he said, because you listen to your wife. Now, everybody's like, <laughs> So before we go any further, just remember who taught last Sunday. Right? Look around and see how many women serve in leadership here. I have no problem with strong, anointed women. None. I'm talking about an order that God set up. That you can say, well, this ain't working. In chaos, no. In life, yes. Because God himself put this order. He also said, 
in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 17, that this Proverbs woman has wisdom on her lips. Which means as a good leader, I need to listen to the wisdom when it comes. Which means she must be able to listen to God because wisdom is the application of God's word. But no matter what, I don't listen to her over God's word to me. Because where she may be off, I will give accountability for his word. So we think she ate, he ate with her, sin. But we, if you read, there was a conversation. You listen to your wife. I imagine this conversation, you know, there's been about 6,000 years since then. So things might have changed a little bit. But just stay with me. I imagine the conversation being a little bit like this. Why can't we eat of this, Adam? Because God said we can't eat of this. The serpent said, did God really say? She said, I guess. Well, the reason God said this is because he didn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. So she ponders. She's like, hmm, good and evil. Well, it looks like it's good for food. Looks like it'd be there to make one wise. It really looks like something. I don't know what it was, so you know. Eats of it. Wow, that's really filling my hunger. Looks at Adam. I'm starting to feel a little smarter than you right now. So this tree works. It makes you wise. I'm smarter than you. Why do you think you're smarter than me? Because you said if we'd eat this, we'd die. And look at me. I'm alive. He said, huh. You know, you might be right about that. You might be smarter than God and me both. (laughs) What just happened? We're naked. Thought you were beautiful, but naked you don't look so good. No. (laughs) We better go hide this. Right? What happened? Why didn't it happen when she ate? She was not responsible for that word. He was. So even as we lead our home, men, we are responsible to hear from him, present that, and lead in that way. If they do not go, don't be deceived because nothing's happening now. They'll stand and give an account for that at some point. We need to go, okay, this is what God's telling me. She begins to say, well, this is what God's telling me, but how are we going to do that? And then we can fit together and have a power union. But if this is what God's telling me, we ain't doing that. And watch what I do. I'll do this. Nothing's happening to me. You must not be as bright as you think you are. Well, don't give, in to, don't give place to that if you know you have a word from God. Because about the time you give in to that, something's going to happen. But ladies, don't tell him he looks stupid just because it ain't happening to you. Respect and honor when he has something from God. Do him good and not evil all the days of his life. Because as you encourage him, esteem him, reverence him, he'll start to see that there's something there that I need to do to live up to that, how she sees me, to become a man of God. You tear him down for every mistake he makes, he'll go find somewhere where he's successful. Praise the Lord. So because this is so important, I challenge you, Challenge the first service. This is so important. The dads, moms, with you young boys especially, with your daughters as well. I had two daughters, so I, I mean, again, I'm not, I've lived around women and strong women all my life, and I love them. I'm just talking about this. Raise your children. Set in your mind to raise your children. Not just put them in church. That's part of it. Raise your children. And cause them to know the word of God and to know God first place. Do it before you teach them sports. Before they start to memorize books and movies. Because that young boy will grow up to be a man and desire to be married. And his wife will not care if he knows the roster of the New York Yankees. But she will care if he knows the word of God and how to lead her by the word of God. 
And that's why we're in such trouble as we've raised young men to know sports and not the Word of God. And then we've asked them to lead their family and they don't know the Word of God. And it got lost down there. Somewhere we got more concerned with them performing and making money in a profession than we did in knowing God and being intimate with God and able to step into another relationship and lead and speak the Word of God over his family Take a stand and say, devil, you're not coming into my house. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And I know who all this belongs to by the blood of Jesus. You're not coming in. You're not making my family sick. I know how to stand. And bless God, I'm standing in the armor of God. You're not coming into my house. You're not coming to my teenagers. You're not doing it because I know the word of God. That's what God designed. So I don't see that in my man. What do I do? Don't say you don't see that in your man. Find it in him. Men, if you weren't raised that way, that's why we're trying to say, let's get into the word every single day. Let's get into the word every single day. So you can lead your family by example and by the authority of God's word. What did God tell you? That's what you'll be responsible for. Now listen, everybody, everybody, man and woman alike, is going to stand before Jesus and give an account for what God has said to them. But the same Holy Spirit in me and the same Word of God is the same Holy Spirit in her and the same Word of God. When we're in disagreement, we have to try to find that out. But if I know that I know my God and I know what He said to me, then I have to stand on that as the one responsible in the stewarding of my family. If it doesn't line up, we may have some friction, but I have to stand on that. Just because she says, I'm not doing that, I can't say, well, okay, I'll do it your way. We have to figure out what that is. And if I'm missing a detail, then I say, listen, I got a big picture. Thank you for the wisdom of that application. Now we can move forward. And we do it in love and respect for one another. Because in that guideline of love and respect, there is great things that are happening. And it works in every area of leadership that we have. Moses was leading the people of Israel, and, and, and they were thirsty. So God said, go strike the rock with your rod, and water will come out of the rock. And so he struck the rock, and later on in Numbers chapter 20, they're thirsty again. They're complaining against Moses. They're complaining against God. And this is what God said to him. God said, you go speak to the rock. Well, he had experience of striking the rock. He was upset with the people. You can read it. God told him, speak to the rock. He goes over, and he announces to the children of Israel, because you bunch of rebels are doing this, we're going to get water. And he struck the rock with his rod. And water came forth, so you'd think, yay, Moses did it again. Got us water. But God came to Moses and said, because you didn't do what I told you to do, you will not go into the promised land with the children of Israel because I'm holding you responsible for what I told you to do. I'm not, I'm not happy that water came out of the rock, even if everybody else is happy that water came out of the rock. You didn't do it the way that I said to do it. Well, God, why? It's, they wanted water. Why do, can't we just have water? Because I was going to show them something about my authority and my word that this looks like you could do it, Moses. But if you spoke my word and water came out, they would know my authority by my word. So now I can't take them to the next step because you didn't obey me. The power of his word. The power of his word. Right? So King Saul, first, first uh, uh, Kings, I think it is 15. Is it first Kings, first Samuel? Sorry. Uh, I'll get it for you. <laughs> Saul's going to battle against the Amalekites. God says, utterly destroy them. Everything, wipe it out. Sheep, goats, wolves, everything. <laughs> All the good stuff. Wipe it out. King, everything. Kill everything. Destroy everything. So they go in there and they start, they, they win the battle and they start looking around. And they're like, man, there's some pretty good, we're going to burn that? Wait a minute, we could use that. Don't burn that. And they go through a whole process of keeping the king alive, keeping a whole bunch of stuff. So God has to go to Samuel and tell him, King Saul is in a mess. I'm paraphrasing now. So Samuel goes and says, what are you doing, Saul? He goes, what do you mean, what am I doing? He says, you didn't obey God. He says, sure we did. We beat the Amalekites. He said, if you did what God said, why am I hearing these sheep in the background? He said, oh, those. 
Well, those were sacrificing to God. The people wanted to keep the good spoil, but will sacrifice to God. So Samuel had to say, is sacrifice something to God in the face of disobedience? No, obedience is far better than sacrifice. Then he goes on to say, Saul, because you have listened to this people, I repent from making you king. See, many times, even as people in the church, we look at leaders and say, why can't we do it my way? Why can't we keep, you know, the whole spoil thing in in defeating countries? If you read the Bible, it was always, he'd say, go win this battle and keep nothing for yourself. But the next battle, he would say, when you win this battle, keep everything for yourselves. Because God was always making sure that they would honor him who was the one who gave them the victory. And so don't you think the victor deserves the spoil? So the moment they didn't give the victor the spoil, they were saying to themselves, we are the victor in our own strength. And God said, no, it can't ever be that way. And so he was always aligning something to bring them forward in the knowledge of him. And they would say, we want it our way. And when leaders would say, let's do it their way, to avoid the discomfort of people not liking you. And then when something happens, it wasn't my fault, it was their fault. But in the end, God says, if you do what I tell you to do, there is power and authority in my word to accomplish the position of leadership that I put you in. Apart from that, There is no godly power or authority to do it. So as a leader, as a husband, you know, I I was meditating on this and I was like, okay, so here, like 40 years later, 42 years later, I'm like, oh, I probably should have been more diligent in that. When I was just about to graduate from Bible school for about the last six months of Bible school, I had to read 1 Corinthians 13 in every translation and read it over and over and over and over and over again. I felt like I knew 1 Corinthians 13 inside out and backwards and upside down. I thought, man, I know how to love people better than anybody. I've been studying this forever. And really, I knew the word, but I didn't know how to love people. It's been like a lifelong quest. But when I begin to study this and see, you know what? You can't even really bring the word of God from a place of authority or power without love. He said, I'm going to put you in a position with a spouse. I didn't have a spouse at the time. So it's really easy to love people like that when you don't have any of them. I'm going to put you in a position with your family. I'm going to put you in a position of ministry and leadership. But I need you to know how to love people. All this chain of responsibility comes from first humbling ourselves before God. Knowing that he loves us, reverencing him more than anything and starting a process of not just authority, but of love and respect. And to honor him and in doing that we humble ourselves. And so James says it like this in James 4. He said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He says, God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. More grace to the humble. So we get into this position where we started at the beginning of service. Well, I'm telling you, that's, that's all good for you, pastor, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my situation. You don't know where I'm at. It's not my fault. Okay, I get it. But what are you going to do now? So if you humble yourself before God, he will give you more grace to go forward than you ever dreamed possible. If you continue to defend your way and yourself, that's prideful. James says it like this in James chapter 4. He says, when you look out at the horizon of a year and you say, I'll go here and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll make a lot of money this year because it's prosperous, 
He said, you are arrogant because how do you know what this year holds? You should first say, if the Lord wills, I will do this and I will do that. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. He said, we should humble ourselves. And he said, when you humble yourself, instead of saying, my way was the way to go. See, sometimes you as people under leadership, wives, children, certainly every leader's under leadership. When we say, listen, they should have done it my way. Nothing happened. I did it. Nothing happened to me. You don't know if they would have done what you did, what would have happened to you. It's easy to stand and not be the one responsible and say, this is the way I would do it. And I know that. I know that voice because I'm just as snotty as anybody. When I wasn't the pastor and some things happened, in my head I said, well, if I was pastor, I wouldn't have done it that way. But you know, when I became responsible, I did it exactly that way. Because there's some ways that God said to do it that if you're not responsible, you could think of another way. But when you are responsible, you have to do it God's way. Because one day, with all the mistakes that I've made, I will stand before him and give an account for what he told me, not what you told me. I will stand and give an account to him for her and my family, not what she told me to do. And as he's taken responsibility for me, and I respect that, I take responsibility for my place. And then it's up to everybody else to take their place. Whatever that may be, there's a divine order that God set up. And we can say, I can't do that. I can't possibly do that. You don't know what the situations of my life are. You don't know how in disarray it is. It doesn't even look like this. Do you know what mistakes leaders have made in my life? They're not worthy of my respect. They're not worthy of my honor. And you can do that. Or you can say, I have no stinking idea how this is going to work. But I'm going to submit myself to you right now in humility. And I'm going to count on you giving me direction. And more grace to navigate into my future than I ever dreamed possible. To be the husband. To be the wife. To be the church member. To be the child of God that you called me to be. Because every single one of us here is someone who is under that authority that needs to be speaking the word into our life. Jesus, certainly. But somebody else that God's put us under. And he's put somebody in our sphere of influence that we should be taking that same word that we're hearing, that we know is God, and speaking it in a chain of command. For from heaven, the power that it has in heaven, carried out accurately, will have the same exact power when it touches that heart. When it touches that body. The same power of heaven to hear. If it's actually accurately conveyed through the chain of responsibility. So, you know, some say, well, I don't have that husband. You do. You have God. He's a husband to the husbandless, father to the fatherless. If anything's broken in that chain of relationship, you defer to the higher power. So what do I do if my husband's not doing it? Do you know that God actually put that in his word? Y'all are looking like He had that much forethought to know that you might have a husband that didn't believe the word, yet he was still your husband, and God still gave him that place. What am I supposed to do? I need to go tell him. He said, no, I've already told you, you have wisdom, you have my word, act upon it, and be an example to him, and even if some don't believe, you acting on the word will turn them. He knew it. You're like, oh, I got one on you. What if they don't? You don't have one on him. He already knew it was coming. He knew some of us men would just be dumb. He's got you. He's got you. He's got me. We'll be off for a couple weeks, but don't miss next week. Rick Renner is going to be here. It'll really be good. We'll talk about this love and respect. So critical. So critical to all this coming together. Otherwise, you're going to fear. It's going to seem tyrannical. 
It's going to seem out of order. But when you put all these ingredients together and see this covenant relationship, you're like, wow, did God have this figured out or what? But we've been not doing it God's way. What do we do? We stop. We humble ourselves. Say, what do I do next? And he'll give you more grace than you ever thought possible. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We glorify you, God. Help us to understand how these covenant connections work. Not that we would go backwards in all kinds of regret, all kinds of sorrow. Help us strengthen each one in our inner man right now, knowing there's tumultuous times that may be ahead. We want to go through those efficiently, effectively, and with mighty power. So how do we stand where we are today? As the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what's behind, what do I do now? Humbling ourselves before you, before your word, and allowing the proper time and grace to empower us, bring favor upon us, that the divine influence that is working in us by the Spirit of God would begin to bring from the inside out a life being well lived in union with you. With the power, the understanding, and the knowledge, the wisdom needed for situations of life. Let us see the power that's in your word brought forth to change things, to ward off the enemy, to bring life and light to our thinking. To bring an understanding that can be verbalized, and when verbalized, it will begin to have creative power to make order out of chaos. Thank you for dealing with every heart and every life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Hope you got something out of that. If you need prayer for anything, there will be altar workers up here to pray with you to stand with you and to agree with you, whatever it may be. If you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, the master of your life, and you need that beginning of a chain, a flow, he'll forgive you of your sin, wash you clean, make you a child of God, but he'll also guide you and direct you as you. He is then the authority in your life, not sin. If you need that, they'll pray with you. You might be born again. Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus, far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. Amen. All right. Let's go ask him.